record button. All right. So, <clears throat> hello. This is episode. Uh, wait. I'll let you do this. This is the best part since oh you're God, remote. But I don't, but I don't have the. But I don't. Yeah. But I don't have the like script for it. I'll say this. Hello. This is episode one of Reality Issues. Um, one half of our podcast partnership is currently at a bar, so clearly. We are a reality podcast, and we're commenting on the world of reality television as well. Um, I'm Brian. I'm Kathy. Okay. And uh, together we are going to talk about whatever we feel like related to uh, reality television. But first, I'm going to play a little something to open us up since we don't have an intro. The overly long intro for the original season of uh, Survivor. Um, oh, is that what that was? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to like, which one is this one? I could, no, well, so no I other really seasons were that long, but man, they really made like a full minute and ten second intro for the first season. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, though. <laughs> Anyway, I had friends who were really, really into it. And they were always like, we're having like survivor watch parties. Do you want to join us? And I'm like, is there going to be beer? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like uh, I remember uh, if, you know, you were like a school age kid at the time. Like, I I would imagine that like that was one of those like last few shows Mm -hmm. that like parents were able to like pull the whole family in to like watch like when that was still like viably a thing that reliably happened um oh that's super cute how old do you think i am (laughs) i am 35 okay so how old do you think i am i honestly have no concept um well no you just said though like cool because like you know you said like it it was like a family-friendly show you think you could pull pull like in the kids Oh, I'm 40. I'm 40. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little older. I was going to so say like, 39. I like, actually, but. I mean, oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I mean, you know, I also certainly don't act my age. Well, that works for what we're discussing. That's fine. We're no, trying to, true. anyway, we're trying to break all. Just say it. Just say it. Yeah. yeah just say it. Um, let's see. Um, no, we had all of these ideas. Yeah, like, I'm just like, looking back so to the been, ideas. Yeah. So I think I want to mention just for our audience, yes. right, that like we have been really into discussing all of this to the extent that we've been like excitedly messaging each other going, oh, I thought of something else. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've definitely started a dialogue where we're um, uh, constantly uh, – trying to like remove the the legs under like the term 
reality television, essentially. Mm-hmm. We're trying to mm-hmm. redefine it entirely. Um, and I don't know. Come up with a new term, maybe, that encapsulates everything that, like, reality film. and Because, I mean, all that's blending together, too. Like, what is a, a true crime documentary? If the crime isn't over and you've made one, isn't that kind of just reality television, but, like, about a serious, like, legal topic? Like... Okay, so I want to admit something right now that is, you know, it, it's a little bit embarrassing, actually. Okay. So, like, um, and I say embarrassing because I felt like a dupe, like I felt like a rube. Okay. okay? Like, like. So, uh, did you ever watch um, American Vandal? Oh, I, I, I've only seen the trailer and kind of got like the, the, but I didn't know for, uh, I, I might know what you're about to get into. I haven't seen it though. No. Okay. So American Vandal is like a Christopher guest, like mockumentary of oh, reality TV. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So like, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's mocking because it, it, it doesn't feel like it's mocking it so much as like replicating it. Okay, so um, the the like the true crime genre. So like the whole premise of like first season American Vandal. Right. um, We see a high school audio visual club following this controversy that happened at their high school. Right. Namely, that a kid spray painted a bunch of dicks on the teachers' cars in the parking lot. And okay. the eight audiovisual nerds are like, we think this kid is being framed. Like, we think, like, he's innocent oh. and someone else did it. And so, like, then they proceed to, like, interview all the subjects and, like, like weigh evidence. And, like, like I swear to God, like, they start going through, like, forensic files type of shit. Okay? <laughs> like, it's funny. Yeah. Okay? Yes. So it's completely fake, right? It's like a Christopher Guest type of a thing. However... It took me and my housemate maybe like about three or four episodes before we realized that it wasn't real. Wow. Well, yeah. Because we were like, oh, no, this totally makes sense. Was it? Like, like, I used to be a teacher. She used to be a teacher. So, like, the idea that these kids could be this precocious and this, like, like whatever, like, and that kids get framed for shit all the time. Yeah. Was not outside of our wheelhouse. Right. So, like. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. no, do, do you, um, sorry, I lost the, what I was about to ask you. <laughs> um, damn. No, I what I was going to ask though sorry. is about, uh, the Christopher guest nature. Uh, so the acting is really like that. Like, uh, did they, f- do you know anything about like the creation of it, the filming of it? Like, uh, that if it was like, um, you know how like it was improv basically those movies sort of. <laughs> So I'm not totally sure. So like, so like, this is how it went down. It was in the middle of the pandemic and my housemate and I were like hanging out and we're like, oh, this looks interesting. And she and I really like all of these true crime shows. So she and I like watch a lot of unsolved mysteries and like forensic files and then like all of the like lifetime true crime, like bullshit. Like we, we watched all of it. Yeah. All of it. Um, so I guess at some point the algorithm was like, we think you're going to like American Vandal. And we're like, yeah, of course. Of course we are. Wow. So we start. So we started watching it. That's incredible. And it was like and it started very earnest. It was very sincere, very real. Like 
it was these like teens who were like, we think our classmates like are essentially like, it's like a bad rap. We think they're like being accused of a crime they didn't commit. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's silly. It's ridiculous. It's spray painting dicks on teacher's cars. Right. It's like totally like ridiculous prank. But um, so like, it's like low stakes, right? It's not like a murder. It's not like serial. It's not like the Gabby Petito case or anything like that. Right. Um, but she and I were fascinated and we're like, yeah, how is this going to play out through like school bureaucracy? And that was even the funny thing. She and I are like very familiar with what school bureaucracy looks like and operates because we we've been through it. Like, like I've been a teacher and had to like be a mandated reporter and like Uh, all the things. So, so we were like watching it and we're like, Oh, like, we think these kids are being accused of a crime they didn't commit. This isn't fair. <laughs> wow, the oh, the audio yeah, visual yeah. kids are really like going to bat for that. Wow. Like, this is really cool. Like they're going to get a college scholarship out of this oh, and shit, right? They're yeah. going to wind up at USC film school. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. But like that, that like, so by itself as a concept, not that far out of the realm of possibility. So we're like yeah. two or three episodes into it. Cause we're like binge watching it. Right. Yeah. So again, yeah, right. Yeah. So like we're, we've been like, you know, um, and so it's about like episode three or four where I'm like, okay, like the suspense is killing me. I'm going to like, look this up on Wikipedia. Like I want to know how this case turned out. And so this is also something my housemate and I did oh, uh, yeah, because yeah. this was a way, this was a way in which she and I were different uh-huh. where she was just like, I'm just going to like lose myself in the magic of the show. And I was like, no, I want to go into like, I want to research. I want to know everything. I want to find the citations, the old like newspaper clippings. Right. So like I would be the one yeah. who would, while the show was on, like I would say, start googling this right so like you know fun facts about the menendez brothers i would be the one looking <laughs> collecting that, that right? big long list yeah <laughs> yes exactly and so then like in between like episodes we'd like pause it and i'd be like oh let me tell you about this article i just found from like 1997 that, like blah 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 right so i was doing all that and so it was again an episode like three or four where i started doing that and I like Wikipedia it and like it says like, oh, this is a fictional show. It's fake. It's not real. But like yeah. whatever. And then I was like, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell you, this is all fake. This isn't wow. real. I... And we were we were completely duped for those. First. And then, of course, it started kind of like getting more and more ridiculous. And yeah. then it was like, OK, we probably would have figured it out out by now. But like those first few episodes, we were like hook, line and sinker. Just. Describe that emotion Sucker. for me. Describe that emotion of the revelation. What did that feel like? <laughs> um, it felt like being at P.T. Barnum's A Sucker is Born Every Minute. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it also immediately made us think of, like, how susceptible. So, like, again, like, I feel like my housemate and I were, like, we're smart people. We're, like, overeducated. Like, yeah. we're, like, critical thinkers. Like, like. And, and we're both educators. So like this concept of like questioning everything is something that's like in our blood. Absolutely. And so we were like, we were both shocked at ourselves that we were like, that, that we had fallen for it. That's, that's just another example of like, uh, there you go. Like the, the veil 
being mm-hmm. put in front of our eyes. And so that's actually a question that I did have uh, down to to kind of like uh, see see what you thought about it. Like if if all reality shows are produced to one level or another in 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 that essentially a portion of it is manufactured or fake if not 90% of it um ultimately to me as the viewer it doesn't matter as long as they make it convincing and not look um just i don't know poorly made so i i ask basically um if what would be what would be the best product if you make a real reality show that looks that if you make the reality show that is like the reality show that looks completely real, but it's absolutely manufactured or like just having the best story, like, cause I feel like I don't know if the best story could ever match up to, to like constructing. If you wanted to like go out of your way to like make the ultimate reality show, like I feel like you could do it like perfectly. Um, okay. So like, hmm. not to get all like super deep. Yes. Immediately what you said made me think of this James Baldwin quote. Okay. And James Baldwin says that it wasn't until he started reading and reading books that he saw like his own like humanity and oppression and experience that it wasn't unique, that it wasn't something that had, that he had only experienced. It was like, no. And, and, and like looking at all these stories, I see that other people have shared in this like misery and that's beautiful. Like, and I'm totally butchering the quote cause I don't really remember. I'm like totally paraphrasing like the sentiment behind it. Um, yeah. I understand what you're trying to say. I think, you know, like, well, well, so I think like this, this idea that like even fiction Right. Like even complete absolute fiction, science fiction, fantasy fiction. There is still something human about those stories. Right. Even if what we're doing is talking about like hobbits or goblins or whatever. Yeah, because they 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 are stories that only like humans can essentially understand. And so, yeah. So they're like embedded in like Jungian archetypes or whatever. They're like bound to that. Yeah. Yeah. So are we ever able to like escape reality and consciousness even when we're lying through fiction so i would say that i don't think so yeah i i I think that your your theory here is completely correct and actually i tweeted something earlier in the week where i was like i think the only thing that isn't a reality tv show or like something that isn't a reality product like a reality production is everything that's basically um not sci-fi and fantasy and now you've basically um given me food for thought where i feel like it just basically everything uh, the 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 boundaries between everything are lifting off <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah that's uh wow so here's so here's another one actually while you were saying that made me think of mm-hmm. uh, another memory um that happened during the pandemic mm-hmm. um my housemate has a teenager okay. and um, we were all stuck in the house together during the pandemic. And um, one of our only joys was being able to go for a drive. Um, you know, cause yeah. like, I mean, Santa Fe is basically shut down anyway during yeah. the pandemic. I, right. I like there was, was like, Um, And also there aren't that many things to take like a teenage person to go do, right? Like I couldn't bring her to the bar right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, So I was like, cool. We're just going to like go for a drive. 
I'm like, we're going to go up into the mountains or something like that. Right. Like, cause that we have, so we would go do that. And, you know, as, as, as teens are, they were very excited to show off the new playlist they had made. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at some point we were on some drive going somewhere to some beautiful national monument or something. Okay. And they turn to me and they go, you know, I feel like I'm in a movie. <laughs> we're, we're, we're cruising down this amazing road. We're listening to the soundtrack of yeah. our lives. Yeah. And they turn to me and they go, I'm going to remember this forever. This feels like a movie wow. that I'm in. And I was like, yeah, good. I'm glad that in the midst of all of this like pain and tragedy, we were able to like give you like Scott Pilgrim saves the world or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So there was like this something about so much this, to, like, so much to think. Yeah. At that mm-hmm. moment. But please continue. I'm sorry. Well, well, it, it's this idea that even the fictions like inform what our reality is. Yeah. Yeah. We can't even have. uh, I'm sorry. No, no, finish it. Finish it. Oh, I was going to say, we we don't even have, like, when it comes to describing a moment that is epic or grand or in the very literal sense or just um, monumental or something that's going to change something forever, a lot of, for a lot of years, the only context that we had to describe or the vocabulary that we had to describe for it in reality is fiction which is why like i think a lot of people in the last bunch of years said like oh this is just like x is just like game of thrones or x is just like that time emperor palpatine in star wars or like i think that's because we instead of we basically had fill in history for it's it's so weird <laughs> i don't know how to really get to the root of it exactly yet but it's so did you see this article or poll or something going around recently? It was like viral and it was on the timeline and it said like um, they ask like Americans what TV show our American politics is most like. And like everybody said the West Wing, which is obviously incredibly depressing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's but like there we are. Yeah, and I, ever, right, I like never. I personally think it's more like Parks and Rec. <laughs> yes, I think that's actually very accurate. Um, only having seen like a few episodes of that show, I and, and having seen a decent amount of like West Wing, I, I can say like like yeah, that's that's definitely accurate. I think it's people basically imitating their parents doing jobs is really what it feels like at the okay. government level. <laughs> sometimes, at least at the national level, absolutely does. It feels like people imitating another job that they saw someone do, not actually doing the job. Um, that's my faith that I have, I suppose. I'll speak for myself. Um, <laughs> and, and anyway, it just gets back. It, like, I feel like it just gets back to this whole concept that you and I have been grappling with of like, what's real isn't. And what like, isn't real is Right. Because like, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be able to take like lessons from science fiction. Exactly. Yes. It has to be. It's like, like, why? Yeah. Why is it that we can read Stranger in a Strange Land by like Heinlein or somebody and go, I can see that 
being real or like Kurt Vonnegut or Bradbury, or any, any of those dipshits. And, and I say that because I've never really read very much science fiction. I've read like the... I, I've read like the classics. Yeah, I've, I've I read enough Orson like, Scott Card to to last my my lifetime when I was a teen. I don't <laughs> don't need any more of him in my life. <laughs> no, like I, I mean, like I've never read him, right? Like to me, yeah. it's like like I think I think like the deepest science fiction I've gotten actually is uh, Douglas Adams. Uh, oh yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, which is also very funny, right? Like like it feels very yeah. real, like especially in the work that I do now in like housing and stuff, right? Where it's like, oh, like there's like some intergalactic agency that's going to like bulldoze a road. Like that actually is what happens to my people all the time, right? Yeah. Like that's why we yeah. have Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, like I haven't thought about uh, Hitchhikers in a little while, but that is actually coming back as a series pretty soon, I think. Like maybe next, early, maybe late, late late this year, even. That's rude. That's rude. Yeah. Because it would, it, well, to me, like, there's only one, like, Hitchhiker's Guide video game, right? It's like the text adventure. <laughs> like, the thought of, like, Hitchhiker's Guide becoming, like, Elden Ring or something is, like, offensive. No, yeah. Uh, the, the, the series, yeah. It, so, they'll, yeah, the TV series. Um, it's pretty soon. I don't know. I don't know when, but I know it's on the pipe. Um Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Let's see. Uh, what else did I? Have? Yeah, you can't. You can't mess with the classics. Can't mess with the classics. Oh, um, have you? Have you? Uh, hmm. Oh, we we uh, discussed the Paris Hilton documentary just very briefly last time. Oh right. And I promised you mm-hmm. I'd do my homework and uh, report back. Oh, right, right, right. And I have, and I have to say. Wow, that's quite a documentary. To, that's like number two on our list of like things to consume, maybe or think about if you're gonna like listen to this podcast. It's like go watch yeah. that Paris Hilton documentary. Yeah, It'll completely changed the way you think about a lot of things. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an instant right? example. So like, and so, like for myself, it also like I mean, and kind of also similarly with like you know, these like stories of like Britney Spears trying to escape her conservatorship. Yeah. Um, like personally, like I was struck by like the misogyny of that. Right. Like the, like, you know, like, um, you mean like, I don't know. Yeah. Like just like, I don't think that Britney and Paris or Kim would be treated that way. If yeah. they were dudes. Like, I mean, I mean again, like, look at the way so many people are like coming to like the immediate defense of like Kanye West of like, well, of yes. course he feels that way because Absolutely like true. his girl or whatever. And I'm like, he would never what? be put in that position. So that's like, yeah, it's that's right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you and I brushed upon this a little bit, like in the last time where like, I think it's also like reductionist to simply say that like people's opposition to Kim is like misogynistic. Like it's absolutely like a big part of it. Yes. It's not the only part of it. Um, yes. I was recently uh, open. I opened up that uh, true story book again, the one that kind of academically looks at um, uh, reality television again. And they were uh-huh. discussing kind of uh, character archetypes of, well, ba- basically what happens is there is a, um, there's a societal pressure to actually 
a well-analyzed societal pressure to be on the side of like criticizing things and obviously in America that very much leads to like following misogynistic attitudes but um, in this case they directly the book itself directly applied that whole scenario as you described like to uh, the Kardashian show specifically um, it was I, I was like blown away um, reading like further kind of uh, dive into that um, I, can't, I can't recommend that book enough it's absolutely like <laughs> worth checking out I'm going to totally get it because I, like I had never even heard of it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. True story. It's called true story. Uh, let's see what else do I have here. Oh, um, I wanted to note, uh, that there is a, a real strain of, uh, con man documentaries on Netflix. There's like a considerable okay. amount of them. I watched three, uh, okay. three different series this weekend alone, and they've all come out this year. Um, they're all about it's different con men. Now. It's trendy. And two of, and two of those or three, all three of those con men are still out there conning people, doing more stuff, nothing really being done about it, except, I found that like the guy who the the Tinder swindler guy, um, he is like being sued by the like di- billionaire diamond family that like he pretended to be a member of, which is oh pretty. It's the ultimate payback, believe me, because that guy is yeah, like yeah, yeah. not prepared he, to handle no, no, that. Now he's fucked. Yeah, yeah. no, he's not. It's like, way out of his league. Are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like seeing that. Um, <laughs> Oh, I mean, see. you know, it's like it's like you know, he must be a real piece of shit. If suddenly we're all rooting for like the diamond monopoly. Oh yeah, believe me. <laughs> There's no other context in which I would think that's okay, except for like the ultimate scam artist basically getting caught up in that. So, like a movie, like really, like, once again, like a movie because nothing like that can happen in real life, right? <laughs> redacted, yeah, redacted. Ah. <laughs> uh. No, so like, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Do you have something? No, I'm, I, yeah. Well, so like, uh, the other night, like, like two or three nights ago, um, I was hanging out with my friend and we were just like, you know, we we're just catching up like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you in a little minute. How are you doing? And, um, but like on, on the TV, she was like, Oh, look, let's just like put something on. So, like, we put on the like new episode of like RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever, which I've seen like all like every season. Okay. I've seen every season. That's one um, I'm completely blind to. I haven't, I haven't okay. dipped in, but I, I want to. I'll have to ask you some questions. No, I mean, you know, we'll get into like Paris is Burning and we'll get into the salt mines and everything <laughs> that John Waters has ever done, right? Like, um, I want and to then learn. the show itself. Oh no! I mean, we're 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 gonna. Okay, um, awesome. But she and I were just like, you know, she she and I were just chatting and we were watching it and like, um, I don't know if you know. I mean, if you've never like really watched uh, the show, then you may not even be like following like RuPaul and all of the folks who like you know do the thing. Yeah. Um, no. I, but I, like, he's like a big. He he like a. He he owns like shares in fracking companies. <laughs> that was yeah. not something I expected. That that well, was not true. the like, line of. It. Look, I believe you. I, I'm just saying I'm, I'm, that's I awesome that you said. That. Maybe maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but okay. um, that's like a thing. Anyway, um, but yeah, like, go ahead. 
nonetheless, like we still watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> like we haven't like we haven't been like, oh, he's like a class grader. We're like, yeah, but the show is great. And like I love Miss Michelle Visage again. Like if you've never seen the show, then you don't know who that is, which is like a damn shame. Because like Michelle Visage is like um uh, she used to be like in some like girl band, girl singer band, and I don't remember what they were called. It hmm. might have been Expose, okay. if I'm remembering that right. Okay. And I'm not. Um, I'll look into this. Uh, maybe I am. Yeah, no, she's great. And so, um, but like, anyway, she's like one of the judges. It's like a competition show who's the best drag queen this year, et cetera. Um, but every single time I watch the show, like no matter like how much I get lost in like the fantasy of everything, um, like in the back of my head, I'm always like, RuPaul is fracking. He's like <laughs> fracking in Wyoming right now. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't matter if I think he's like girl boss, like fabulous or whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm like, he is creating harm to the communities that he says he represents that's yeah and we have to put on our own reality show just to watch that yeah (laughs) yeah there's like a really hard like acceptance that comes with that like like there's always like a suspension of disbelief in fiction or like movies or hollywood or the production or whatever it is right if you go to the theater if you go like and i say like theater like broadway theater if you go to the movies if you watch tv there is like a suspension of disbelief that happens when you watch the thing yeah but that and, and yet, like, because we have all this information at, like, at our fingertips, because I can Wikipedia American Vandal right away, right, or RuPaul right, right. away, I can be like, oh, shit, like, no, you're like a fucking class traitor. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I've thought that a I lot. reconcile that, right? I've like, thought that a lot so, watching the Kardashians. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but see, like, so I'll say this, right? Like, on some level, Kim Kardashian is not a class traitor because she's not betraying her class. Yeah. She's always been the class she is, just like Paris, right? Stop being poor. You're right. <laughs> like, yeah. There's nothing for her to betray. She's always been in the side of power. Now, she may be marginalized. Each of them may be marginalized in, like, those halls of power. But I'm like, yeah, bitch, but, like, you still have access to all that power. Like, being Paris or being Kim is still not the same as being those folks that are depicted in Paris's Burning or in the Salt Mines. These are people who are, like, uh, being killed, being marginalized on the streets of New York, like completely being like alienated from like belonging to society. And like, again, like as, as you saw in the Paris documentary, she was absolutely ostracized from her family. Yeah. And yet, and yet has this enormous amount of privilege. She is not one of the like black trans femmes who is being like killed on the streets every yeah. single day. Yeah. So like how much pity can I really feel? Yeah. yeah. And like that's fucked up too because I feel like it's dehumanizing me. I I've begun to think that through this little voyage. Like I feel like in some way 
by unraveling all the threads, um, taking off all the labels of genre and trying to get at the core of like what really is making this kind of viewing like what is it about like the way that we view things not even just reality tv in general like what i'm thinking is it's like i feel like unraveling the the words the vocabulary that describes everything makes everything look so extremely fucking dire like uh it's like uh it's like looking behind the curtain but but like behind you're already behind the curtain (laughs) um in, 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 in a way, it gives you new vocabulary to enjoy, like things like the Kardashians, uh, but it also like kind of uh, it almost robs you in some way of something. But I don't know. I couldn't watch it with any, any, any other way than I do. So, yeah. Well, the other thing it reminds me of is like, again, like returning to this theme of like science fiction. Yeah. Right? Like, um, what's the difference between being in the running man and watching the running man? Do you, do you, do you know that movie? That yeah. Yeah. Movie? The, the movie. Yes. The, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Yeah. Well, like, okay. yeah. Watching. Oh uh, yeah. I, I suppose like, uh, ethically speaking, the running man, the setup was that you're a man. Well, actually, it was different in the book. Yeah, do you remember book. the movie? Yeah, I do. I do remember the movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger's inserted for, to clear a huge Apparently. debt. Isn't that actually the reason? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in in the movie, it's because he's being he's being like Guantanamo. He like oh. in, in the movie, it's because he was like um, the the government was doing something incredibly illegal, and he's like, I refuse to take an illegal order, and the government's like, Okay, well, you're in the Running Man. Now. Oh shit. Huh. Yeah. Oh, well, I never read the book. No, I'm just thinking that now I just want to consume both, like, over the week now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, now I want to revisit both of them. Yeah, yeah. What are the ethics of watching The Running Man? Let's say The Running Man was real. It existed yesterday, and we watched it tonight. Uh, What are the ethics of us watching it? (laughs) I think we do watch it, though. Yeah, we right? do. Because, like, it is it is available to us. It's just not available to us as, like, television and, like, marketed, like, RoboCop. Like, I'll buy that for a dollar or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Like, but, you, like, and again, like, now to, like, connect it to the internet, we've always had Rotten.com. Yeah. No, yeah. It's always been there, Absolutely. right? Like, oh, Faces of yeah. Death. Had, oh, no, no, now we're getting fucking deep, right? Because it's, like, Faces That's of Death. Reality. Been yep. That's reality. Yeah. That's real. Well, but, like, it wasn't either. There were a yeah. bunch of those fucking segments right. on Faces of Death that were fake. Like, the some f- of them were real. Correct. But some of them weren't. And so, like, when you were watching it, I remember... So, I remember... Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That's, like, a memory I haven't had in a minute. I'm about mm-hmm. to, like, take a big breath. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first time I watched Faces of Death, I must have been, like, in middle school. Maybe even younger. Maybe, like, fifth, sixth grade. Was it I'm the computer? It Was it the computer you had no, access? Okay. absolutely VHS. Okay. I n- I've never seen so, a VHS copy. Or, so... I, again, like as someone who grew up in Los Angeles, I had amazing access oh. to like video stores yeah. and 
like mom and pop video. Like, in fact, that's how I even like started watching things like my dinner with Andre at like right. 12 was yeah. because there was a corner VHS store, a video store around the corner. It wasn't Hollywood video. Yeah. It wasn't like Blockbuster. It was just like, yeah. And then there was like the porno corner in the back, right? Yes. Like, because it was like the, the saloon the, like, doors. Normal, <laughs> yeah. The normal human yeah. like video store, right? So yes. like, now, obviously, they didn't allow us back there, but they didn't keep Faces of Death back with the porno, which is a totally different conversation, too, right? So that's an app. Um, that's a conversation I'd love to have. Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's a fascinating conversation. Put that one down for the notes for episode three. Yes, right? so like sex versus violence. Right. Yeah, but like, so I so now I'm having this memory of like also doing the exact same thing of like watching Faces of Death. Thinking basically, it looked like Creep Show, right? Uh, that 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 film, right? Which was like all those little like Stephen King vignettes or yes. whatever. Yes, yes. I'm like, what's the difference between like, oh look, they're about to like beat a monkey to death to do like makeup experiments versus like that one little segment of like where they go swimming in the lake and there's that blob or whatever. Like, the main image the I have lo- the main image I have locked in my head is is a man being beheaded with an axe. Is that is that a th- memory you have of that? <laughs> um, um no. Okay. But I do remember like could be in a like, sequel, here's maybe. the thing. Yeah, like it could have been Faces of Death too, right? Like I don't remember. Yeah. Like and I don't remember all of them, but like I I do think about the ones that stick with me, right? Like the ones that stick with me were the ones about like the monkey experiments for like doing makeup or like bunnies or something. And then there was another one that was like um, uh, that politician who killed himself on air. Yeah. uh, His name, uh, I think of him a decent amount, actually. Um, God, Bud Dwyer, Bud Dwyer, two Bs. Yes. Um, so here's another one. Like, so I grew up in LA and the Rodney King video is like very big in my own personal history. Um, I did my first communion during the LA riots. Um, and so like all of those things are like very personal to me. Yeah. Um, but there was another incident that happened that gets talked about much, much less in the history of like news copters, following a police chase really and this one was about a dude um he was in a truck and he had his dog with him in his truck and he went and he like this is at a time when nobody was doing this he blockaded the freeway he like stopped in the middle of the freeway he put out like a banner and he said like i don't remember what the banner said but the banner was something about like um, my HMO is killing me or something like my HMO did, did this. And like hmm. what had happened was he had, um, he had been denied medical care. He w- he had been like, he had been diagnosed with some awful disease or something. And I don't remember the details exactly of what had happened, but he goes out to the freeway. He unfurls his banner. My HMO is killing me. And he proceeds to set himself and his dog and his truck on fire in the middle of live news television holy shit and it and it happened and i'm sure we could probably like go into youtube and find it right now but like i remember also like all of the news copters always struggling with this idea of like when do we pull away when does it get too real yeah 
Yeah. When does it go from like a car chase on cops to, oh shit, we're about to watch a snuff film? Yeah, and then what's the value in even shooting it with for the TV cameras anyway? Because the police are using their own helicopter, their own reconnaissance. They're not like talking to like the TV cameras. So at some point, the the video camera being there is not even for the public record necessarily. It's really only there to like, well, I suppose it does serve as the public record if it's what we can see. But it's really, it's not there to like help the cause at the moment. It's really just there for our like almost perverse viewing of like this in process crisis. Um, Well, and also like in LA, right? Like every time that there's even like a fucking fender bender, everybody stops to like crane their neck and go, Ooh, what happened? Right. And then traffic is fucked for like three hours because of like a fender bender on the side of the road, let alone if there's like an actual spectacle of an accident. Right. Wow. Yeah. I feel like we're getting that here, even though, well, Less cars, less people, but it's I, <laughs> the ratio is getting tight. Feels impossible to drive anywhere here right now. Um, yeah. Well, uh, like I mean, like like and, and then sur- like I feel like then surveillance starts to come into this, right? Like, yes. um, the way that any of us can right now access Department of Transportation videos to see what road conditions are like on the I twenty five or on the I ten, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, we can all log in. Like, like, we can all log in, right? We all have, like, ways on our apps or whatever. Like, Google now does it for us or whatever, right? But, like, even those things of, like, how do I react to this in real time? Like, oh, there's a fender bender up ahead. How do I, like, navigate around this? Yeah. It's still this, like, voyeuristic thing because some people might be like, ooh, there is an accident. I want to see what's happening. Yeah, and speaking of, like, voyeuristic kind of tracking like that stuff, like, that's how, like, this first civilian reports of, like, uh, you know, tanks in Ukraine were, like, found was because, like, someone went on Google Maps and noticed that, like, there were red traffic marks on, like, the highways coming into Ukraine. Like, mm-hmm. that's how, like, it's um, our... Our ability, our ability to to uh, collate data at an increasing rate in brand new ways. Like you can go on uh, ATSBExchange.com and track any plane on the planet where it goes at all times. Like, mm-hmm. or you can go and there's one for uh, container ships where you can find out exactly everything that they're going. I mean, uh, I think. I mean, that's why we were also fascinated by the like Suez Canal blocking that right. happened last year, right? Like, Completely. Because we were like, oh, like. Isn't that hilarious? Like we can see the traffic jam happen in front of us right. in real time. All powered by an open source community of voyeuristic nerds who are plugging little USB sticks into a little device and having it connect to the internet. I mean, it's I love it. That's those are my people. <laughs> like <laughs> No, I mean and I'm 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 like only I say only barely starting to dive into like what it means to like access real time data to make decisions for like the work I do. Oh yeah. That's right. Fascinating. So like you know, like, and like where we collect data, how data is collected and like what we're collecting and which ones we're deciding to ignore is also like really important. Mm. Like in, in a lot of what I do around like eviction work and like tenants rights, right? Like we don't know how many people are being evicted because no one's really counting that number. Like, but they are counting that number. There are records of that, but it's just for whatever reason, we decide not to quantify that and do like a sum Mm. spreadsheet. Yeah, you it's know, not like, like quantified and being put into. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, I, I don't want to like being, make you talk about something at work if you can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
no, I mean, I, I can keep it at, like, I can keep it at high level, but like this idea of like what we decide to see, what we decide to look at is also like a decision about what we're deciding not to look at. Yeah. What we're, um, it, it's like, it's like a magician's trick, right? Where's the distraction yes. happening? We go from like, am I being distracted by watching this? Or should I really be watching this other thing instead? Like what's more fascinating, uh, keeping up with the Kardashians or the like real time traffic of like shipping lanes. And I'll, and I'll go back and forth actually monumental. And I'll go back and forth on those two things. Yeah. And I'll spend, and I'll say even this on the subject of the Kardashians, that same effect is why for my whole life until 18 months ago, I never even touched the Kardashians. So, um, yeah, like there is, um, like I allowed other people to collate my data for me, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, and that's what television is doing for us. Right. It's saying this is what we think as producers, as uh, media conglomerates, we're saying is worth looking. At, right. I mean, and this even just gets into the general concept of like representation, which stories get told and which ones don't. Uh, who's who's an authority on their own lived experience and who isn't. Mm. Right. Like um, we get to see Paris through a lens of like the simple life and her adventures with Nicole Richie as they go visit all of these people across the country. Mm-hmm. But like the actual story of what was happening with Paris during that time was not something we were allowed to see. That's true. And the, the, that all being said, that affected how we saw the product in the end and went, whoa, instead of like, oh, yeah, or anything else. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that made it shocking, but also made it impactful. Like, that, that's why I would immediately recommend that to almost anyone who wants to kind of dip into this world is because it was the single most bitter, potent spoonful of this medicine like I've had so far was, I think, that documentary um, of thinking about how many aspects and angles of people are like you said, uh, chosen to be left out even. Well, like why even do we have a reality show about someone like her? Right. Like, and not like, that's a fantastic, let's say any of my tenants that I work with. And like, why is it so much more powerful also? Like, that when a tenant is able to like be brave enough to speak out about their like living conditions and their landlord, like that's so brave. That's so brave. So true. But, but then we look at someone like Paris and we go, Oh, she's just doing that for the money. And it's like, really? Like, I don't know. Like, isn't her telling her story just as brave? Like, isn't there something in like, vulnerable about anybody who decides to tell their story yeah and how are we how who are we to judge anyone's preparedness to tell their story or not and how effective or suitable they would be to tell their story or tell their story on their own even yeah yeah um what gives us the power to decide what is and isn't um a worthy story and i i I, yeah I, i like kind of raise that question aloud i suppose um wow no, I'm kind of struck by it. I'm like, thinking, I, like, yeah. About certainly, I'm just like sitting with it. Like I'm sitting with it, right? Yeah. Like, um, because it is making me think also about like 
um, in organizing work generally, we talk about storytelling and like why us simply sharing our story of like what we're experiencing is powerful, right? Like one of the things that like, whenever I talk to a tenant who's like going through something really awful in a really bizarre, perverse way, me being able to say them, say to them, I wish I could say you're the only person going through this, but you're not. Your neighbors are experiencing this same exact stress and oppression and fear. How do we work together? Yeah. Right. Like there's something about like recognizing that like there's this power in our storytelling that on some level is being denied to us when our storytelling is being mediated for us. Um, yeah. Because then we're, then we're scared to say this is happening to me because it feels unique. It feels like it must be a personal failing that I'm going through this. I mean, indeed, that's even something that kind of goes through like Paris's story or like Britney's story as they're like going through yeah. their like challenges of being like institutionalized where they're like, this doesn't happen to people like me. Yeah. And part of it is having them recognize, no, it happens to everybody, including people like you. Yeah. Like you're not immune to this just because you have wealth or just because you're like traditionally pretty or whatever. Right. Like you are just as susceptible to this, like imposition of your story this like gaslighting yeah. of, like 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 the reason that like i think it was so hard for people like paris and Brittany to experience what they did is because part of it was for them like recognizing like no you're not immune to this like people of color i feel like who have been dealing with this like they're not surprised that they go through that In fact, that's like what humanizes them, right? Because they go, oh, Paris, she's just like us now. And she's recognizing that. Yeah. Because to us, it's not like something that's like far out of the realm of possibility. For them, it was like that they were going through that was like a shock. It was a surprise. Yeah. But for everyone else, it was like, no, why do you think you're immune to that? Why do you think you're exempt from that? Oh, you think your wealth insulates you? No, it doesn't. Nothing insulates you from it. Because if like someone wants to tell your story for you and if they have more power than you, then that's, that's all that's going to matter. I feel like, um, I don't know. I don't know what the word is exactly, but I feel like, uh, giving everyone access to tell their own story as best they can is the best thing that we like teaching everyone the essential human skill of storytelling or not even doing, I don't even want to say teach. I want to say empowering people to employ the skills of storytelling. They already have as a human, because pretty much all humans have this skill, no matter what Um, empowering people to use their skill of storytelling to tell their own story. I, I just, um, I don't know how to focus on that specifically, but I feel like that's something I'd like to focus on at some point. Like Mm -hmm. I I want to enable people to just say what they have to say the way that they need to say it and not, yeah, like you said, not mediated through anyone else or or at least not feel like the mediation is interfering with their uh, expression. All right. So we're back. And, uh, 
and we were just discussing about um, we were discussing like the the power we're discussing about let's see equaling the playing field for storytelling um, mm-hmm. I don't know how that's achieved necessarily but I think that uh, if we're looking at the current way that stories are mostly told to mass audiences is typically you're, you're talking through your social channels or like YouTube or whatever but also like mostly if you're talking about a huge personality pre TikTok at least exposure to millions of people you're talking about um, reality shows and mm-hmm. that meant that someone had to be selected but um, yeah like you were saying like someone in your life who you think could be benefited or a group of people or the world whose opinions could be informed by a good or a compelling story should I say um yeah, I, I wish the word isn't democratized, but the word is like, uh, I don't know. I, I Well, I feel like the word is equitize, right? Like, yeah, I was going to say egalitarian. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like there's there's something about like, um, I mean, I think this is also why people talk about like representation in media. Like, I, I mean, and this means something to me as like a woman of color, mm-hmm. right? Like who have been the people who look like me in these spaces, right? Like uh, media spaces or whose stories get elevated, um, Mm. who gets recognized in like American media versus who gets recognized in like foreign media. Like, um, Hmm. uh, so like here, here's, here's like maybe like, again, like I'm being kind of silly, but it's not that silly. Okay. Um, I just started watching the uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, production of Che. Oh, right. Uh, what? Uh, when do you, was that? Just just came out, or no, no, no. So like, it came out like mid two thousands. Okay. That first decade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. So like, I'm doing the Criterion Challenge this year. Okay. okay. And this week's challenge is war, war films. Oh, okay. And um, so, like, you know, I went into the like criterion thing and was like, oh, yeah, let me put in the filters. And like, um, out of all the war movies, I was like, you know, I never saw Che. Um, and like, as a leftist, like, it's like obviously very important to me. Mm-hmm. I think Benicio del Toro is hot. You yeah. know? Yes, <laughs> like, he is. Uh, he is absolutely. <laughs> um, and I say that because like, uh, my first, like I'll say introduction to Benicio del Toro was also the usual suspects. Um, that film. Mine was from uh, dusk till dawn. I think, wasn't he in that? Mm. The, the Robert I Rodriguez, so. like vampire movie. Um, mm-hmm. really like that one. I think pretty sure he's in that like as a vampire or something or the wolf man. Maybe I don't know. Wait, no, he was actually the wolf man in the movie called the wolf man. So that's, I'm getting confused anyway, please continue. Please continue. I'm sorry. So, so the usual suspects is also one of these like true crime movie. Like it's not a true crime. Right. But like, it's got this like feel of like a true crime. There's like a, a heist. Oh, is that Kevin, Kevin Spacey? Yes. Spacey Benicio is in it. That's it. Um, Okay. Uh, the curly-haired dude—I forget his name. Kevin Pollock. Yes, I think he's a hilarious comedian. He's a great um, interviewer. He had a really good podcast for a long time where he interviewed um, like old Hollywood celebrities. It was actually oh, really? very, very interesting, very funny. 
Um, oh, now I want to watch it. I had no idea. Yeah, it, it ran for years. Um, it's it's you know it's still. I think the archive is still available somewhere. Uh, it was a video show on YouTube, I believe. Okay. Well, anyway, right? Like, so mm-hmm. that's like a uh, like the premise of the Usual Suspects for our listeners who have maybe never seen it. It's basically like um, there's like a, a big like heist crime type of a thing that occurs. And the cops are investigating this crime and they pull in, quote unquote, the usual suspects to ask them like, oh, we think you're involved and we think you were part of this like thing. And, you know, they're like grilling them. And like you see the cops like interacting with these individuals, like and their responses to it, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kevin Spacey is like the, the main person because he's like the only one who survived this whole thing. Um, And, and then that's like without giving away any of the plot of the film in case people haven't seen it. Right. But like, throw that in the queue and refresh my memory. (laughs) Yeah. But like, um, it's fiction. Mm -hmm. Right. But like the idea that like such a crime could occur, and that the cops and the and the quote unquote criminals would behave in the way they did, like that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? Like it's, um, I think of even other films that kind of straddle that same line, like Goodfellas, right? Like Goodfellas is based on a true story. Casino is based on a true story. Um, yeah, Henry Hill. Boy's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, a, a boy's life is based on that story. Is based on real events. Um, but I don't like like I, I haven't seen the Irishman. I don't remember if the departed is based on a true story. It might be. It might not be. The departed um, is based on a Korean film called uh, the departed in Korean, I believe. Or No, okay. it's like uh, I believe it's actually called like the hitman's something. It's anyway. But yeah, it's a Korean film that actually won a bunch of awards and then was adapted. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Well, it is because it's like to me, it's also like whether that crime movie is based like in fact like goodfellas or right. casino um is scarface based in a real story i don't think it is probably a, con- a conflagration or i don't know if that's the word but like a group of many people uh, a mm-hmm. simulacra sort of yeah but either way right like we yeah. find real things to identify right it, go- it gets back to this like archetype Mm-hmm. Uh, idea, right? That like, well, I could see myself behaving that way if I suddenly became a drug kingpin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and with panache, like I feel like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll I'll ask this. How about this? Scarface. Someone shows you Scarface yesterday. You'd never heard of it. it was an old eighties movie, and uh, they were like, yeah, it was like totally true story. And then um, I don't know as a, as a goof. Someone makes a fake Wikipedia page for it and makes, you know, writes up, you know, the whole character is like a real person and writes a couple other ones. And you read it and you go, wow, at the end of the day, does it really make a difference whether the story was true other than to the people involved? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. an open question, I, I suppose, um, like to your enjoyment or your like acceptance of the story, etc. Like we know things like that have happened in the area. It's just, yeah. The lesson remains. So, so not to get even deeper, but right now that you said that, I thought, well, even if it's a true story, completely true, mm-hmm. let's say it's completely a thing, right? Like a documentary, 
am I, as an observer, ever able to access that story if it wasn't my exact lived experience, right? Like, all I'm ever able to do is maybe empathize or relate or compare, but that it is my story isn't. It's not. It can't be. Like, because, like, um, how could it be, right? Like, so... Uh, one of the documentaries I watched recently, and I think I mentioned it on the last episode, was Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven, where okay. um, uh, it's like the establishment of a pet cemetery in Northern California. Okay. Um, and all of these people are like, we want to establish a pet cemetery, a place where we can put our like, beloved four-legged friends and etc and like how do we like do that and like that's the whole thing about gates of heaven um but like is it that different from pet cemetery the movie <laughs> and i don't think it is because i feel like like even though yeah. one is like very grounded in reality of like yeah i'm just burying my dog um Pet Cemetery, the movie, the scary movie, the horror fiction movie, is still somehow playing on these fears of like, am I ever really able to say goodbye to this person? What happens if I can't? Right? Like, yeah. what happens if like that that item or that person or that dog, that pet comes back? What happens? You know, and in yeah. and in Pet Cemetery, it's like, you know, yeah, like they're they they come back as evil or whatever, right? But like um there's something that like blurs the line between them that I think only exists for us as ourselves as humans, right? Like I don't like because isn't that like what our nightmares are made of? Um isn't that what horror film is, right? Like an imagination of like our worst realities come true. Like that's yeah, like uh, the core, the core metaphor. Like I feel like, um, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to get distracted there for a second. No, um, no, go ahead. The go core, ahead, the core, ahead. the core metaphor is really what um, uh, is like in horror. Um, that's kind of why I think like uh, all slasher films are essentially like the same movie, having seen a lot of them and loving them. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen one, you've seen literally all of them, uh, but they still kind of work, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, even though you've heard the story before. Uh, and you may, I'm like, I used to love horror movies hmm, to relate it to horror movies, I guess. I used to uh, love horror movies, even though I loved them so much, I wouldn't even be scared of them anymore, and I could predict every single, um, like aspect of them, like right, as they were happening. Like I remember, uh, actually, in fact, I would say this: they anticipated that about the horror audience, and they made films that predicted that. That's what those um, those movies where people die in freak accidents. What was it called? Fatal. Um, uh- Final Destination. Final Destination, that's it. Those movies were based on reverting um, perceptions of the genre, um, which are there many examples of genres Mm -hmm. turning themselves in their head, but that... um, Yeah, like Scream does that. The the only movies to ever really get me uh, in the theaters that were horror films were those, because they went out of their way to um, 
look and they went out of their way to know their audience in a very specific way, which I think is a good takeaway just for anyone who's creating anything is to really not just know your audience. Everyone knows that saying, but like, I feel like, I don't know, being in contact with your audience in some way or like being a piece of who, like being who your audience is almost is like required to like make a truly, uh, to connect. I don't know. That's kind of a a, a bigger thing, I suppose. Okay, so here's a question, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna answer my I'm gonna answer my own question before I kick it to you. But like, which horror film most scared you that you've seen recently? Like, and I say recently in the like, let's say the last ten years. Um, um, and for me, the answer is actually that remake of Funny Games. Huh. I haven't seen that. Did you ever see that movie? No. Okay. Okay. So, um, there was like a funny games. That's the name of the movie. There Mm -hmm. was one that was made in like the seventies and it was like Swedish or something. I don't know. I'm making that up. And then there was another one that was made like in the early two thousands. And basically the premise is there is a family that is staying on like at a lake house. All right. And their, and their neighbor shows up, but their neighbor tr- turns out to be, like, a murderous sociopath. Okay. I'm actually a fan of that um, genre, of subgenre. No, totally a, well, totally a fan, because, like, here's what we also know, right? Like, the reason that, like, that movie is scary to me, but Saw isn't, yeah. is because, like, the reality, the reality of it is, is that the person or the people most likely to do violence to you yeah. is someone you know. It's a friend, it's a family member, it's a neighbor. That's who is most likely to like actually kill you. It's not like a stranger crime. Yeah. Right? Like, and this is also something, again, like as as like a woman, the person most likely to rape you is not like some stranger who jumps out of the bushes. The person most likely to rape you is like the friend you've known for 15 years. Yes. Yeah. And in that way, if the terror, I mean, the, the, following the metaphor that the true terror is at home under our noses. Yeah. There's so like how many scream literally is that? I mean, the prime example of that, um, we're like, there's no winning that you're playing a losing game. Scream is the perfect mm-hmm. metaphor for that. Like, whenever you're, if you're in a horror movie, you're probably going to die. Like, um, mm-hmm. and, and that oppression is carried, that feeling that is carried throughout the whole film is the cloak they put you under to then uh, give you. Maybe, maybe you're learning a little bit about society, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on the film. <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I feel glad that we, yeah. I feel pretty happy that we got all the way to horror films uh, from the beginning. Uh, uh. Well, like, I mean, b- because what's more horrifying than reality? Truly. Like, like, isn't this, isn't this why people retreat into fiction in the first place? Right. Because like yeah. reality is like too much to deal with. Right. Like, isn't this why people have psychotic breaks? Truly. Yes. Right. Like where I'm going to, like where I'm going to decide. No, actually this like, 
thing that I've invented in my head is so much better than the reality I'm facing in front of me. It's like why people like, you know, even become substance dependent. Yeah. You know? I, know, I know about that personally. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. I like our metaphorical, I like our, our universal kind of nature of our discussion today. That worked out well. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm really thrilled because I, like, yes, because I also think of like, what actually scares me as a person and a human and an individual. And it's not the wolf band. It's not the mummy. It's not the things that might be under my bed because like I can still rationalize those things as like figments of my imagination. Yes. Like the thing that like really scares me is that like, no, but there are people in political power who can undo all the work I've been working on. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. scary. That's like the true fear. And that's real. That's yeah. like realer than anything. That's why the scariest part of Cloverfield is the entire movie before you get to see the monster, because it could be literally anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, or even those like metaphors of like other scary movies, like Night of the Living Dead, right? Like they're not about zombies. Yeah. No, they're not. It's secondary to the story. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the John Romero films. The zombies are almost completely unimportant. Mm-hmm. which I always appreciated because that was really what the genre was all about. He created the genre. He understood it from the beginning and no one else really mm-hmm. understood it except for him for at least for a very long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I think so. He was, a I mean, I think actually walk, I, I mean, I, I think like for as much as like fit for public consumption, the walking dead was the walking dead did the same thing. Right. Which is like your real fear isn't the like walking dead. Your real fear is like your neighbor. You, you can't trust your neighbor. Yeah. Ultimate, mm-hmm. and I mean the full, the first season totally captured all that. Because mm-hmm. like the the undead are easy. You, you just fucking yeah, they're predictable. Their skull, and you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're pre- entirely predictable. Um, they behave and they walk and they move in a way that like you can just I know what they're gonna do. I can just like do this. You can they're instantly recognize that, them, so I can yeah. bait them. Yeah, it's like it's it's it, like they're animalistic like at its core but like that's not the that's not the scary thing about a show like the walking dead the what's scary about the walking dead is that like yeah no like it's somebody's gonna betray you someone's gonna like lock the door behind you because like they think you suck yeah or they want your like tiny scrap of food Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Because you have like a cache of cans or something and beans. Or yeah, thinking of the road at that point. Yeah, no, dude. The zombie movie with no zombies, kind of. Mm-hmm. Never well, read it. Oh, uh, I and, haven't and read and it I, either. I, should, I, oh, I started I reading it, but it, honestly, it was a little too Cormac, much for me when I read yeah. it. Uh, I mean, Cormac lives here somewhere. He's around here. He's around me somewhere. Well, one day we'll have to track him down for a local interview. <laughs> No, so apparently he goes to the bookstore a lot. Oh, like really? Some people, yeah, no, so some if, people, like, see him as a regular. Well. And so, like, I have a buddy who works at one of the local wow. bookstores, and they're like, oh, yeah, Cormac comes in all the time. That's incredible. I'm well, like, Cor- Cormac, huh? <laughs> I'm going to keep that line open all, just in my mind forever. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for um, joining me, Kathy. Um, oh, thank you so much, Brian. It was 
As always, a pleasure. Yes, and we shall reconvene again soon. And to everyone out there, um, please keep listening to the show, and uh, we'll we'll keep up with you on social media, and uh, we'll we'll let you know about what's coming in the future. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>